throwback to 2014 when we won the World Cup, our off-pitch connection was unbelievable. So like just the power wow. that sport has is just remarkable. There will be a lot of people that probably don't realise that most women playing for their country also have full-time jobs. And then his colleague asked if I was in the car when they weighed it. <laughs> and so I now know what my scrap worth is. <laughs> Welcome to the Being Human podcast with Amelia Vegting and Jez Francis. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Hi, I'm Amelia Vegting. And I'm Jez Francis, and welcome to the second series of the Being Human podcast, where with special guests, we continue to explore what it means to be human in this world we find ourselves living in. Amelia, it's been a couple of months since we last recorded an episode. Uh, there's a lot to catch up on and share with our listeners. Yes, definitely. But we're not quite getting into boring things about me just yet, Jez. So if we could save what I can only imagine are going to be bin, car and allotment related stories just for a little bit. That's that would rude. Be... <laughs> um, I was wondering whether you'd made any New Year's resolutions this year. And now that we are in February, have they stuck? So Pilates... Oh, yes. I'm doing that twice a week, once in the church hall, uh, mm -hmm. once online, although I'm flexible. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> I've had a few different ones this year. I mm. finally got into a really good habit of reading and I'm really enjoying it. I'm onto my fourth book of 2024 and I'm probably reading, I think, for around about 90 minutes a day on sort of to work and back on the commute. And then, yeah, about half an hour just before I go to sleep. So That's excellent. Is that Kindle-driven? It is. Got a Kindle for Christmas and it's revolutionary. Dr Alice from last year's episode on habits would be very proud of you. She would. Another thing I, I wanted to do was to try and be a bit more present and, what's the word, reflective maybe, mm -hmm. uh, of things going on around me, mindful perhaps. Uh, I've tried to be more aware of the natural cycle of things. So um, end of last year, we said goodbye to our old office in Waterloo, didn't yes. we? Yes and moved into our lovely new space in Southwark with its fantastic view and energy and kind yeah, of... Yeah, it's know. a nice breath of fresh air for the start of the year. It is, a new beginning, I think. Mm. Now, I know you said I can't mention the allotment. I knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> but that's got a natural rhythm to it, right? And yeah. I have to confess, I've not been down there for a, quite some weeks now, so I'm fearful that it's going to be like Day of the Triffids when <laughs> I do get down there. And then just this weekend, my son played his last home game at the football club. Oh, that's quite a big moment. Yeah, that was the end, the end of win? an era. They did win. And oh, he, and excellent. He, and he scored the winning goal oh, as well. Oh, stunning. What a way to Left go. Left foot, rifling shot. Nice. Past the keeper. Well, in the spirit of renewal, we're here, you know, into season two of the Being Human podcast. And I think we've got some excellent conversations lined up to get us going. And I have to say, I'm really excited for today's conversation. We've definitely started the year off with a bang. Well, look, before we introduce today's guest, should we get the boring stuff out of the way? What do you think, Amelia? Yep, good idea. Oh, boring things about me. So for those who don't know, this is the wonderful part of the podcast where we celebrate the everyday, the dull and the mundane aspects that we experience as part of being human. Jez, you're itching in your seats. What have you got for us today? Some years ago, when my dear dad had to stop driving mm. and he couldn't bear to part with his already ageing car, mm -hmm. so he insisted I have it. Ah, so for the last few years, it's it's ferried me, the dog and the kids around very dutifully, but it has failed its, its last MOT and it was going to cost a fortune to get it through the right. test. So I decided to scrap it. 
Okay, mm. this is new territory for me. Okay. So we arrived at the salvage and scrapyard on Saturday. The car was weighed, and then we moved on to the paperwork. Okay, at which point the man started scratching his head, looking at the car, and then looking at the paperwork. The weight of the car was clearly troubling him. Right, and he said it can't weigh that much. It can't. And then his colleague asked if I was in the car when they weighed it. (laughs) (laughs) And then the penny dropped for both of them. I clearly was (laughs) in the car, yeah. So the quote that they'd offered me went down. And so I now know what my scrap worth is. Oh, go on, tell us. Have a a guess, have a guess. Oh, God. 15 pounds? (laughs) Worse, seven pounds. (laughs) Seven pounds. I told Rebecca and she thought that was a bit high. Anyway, look, what about you, Amelia? What is your first boring story for our listeners? So despite forming some good habits of 2024, um, I recently wasn't that well and in passing some of the time decided to download Candy Crush as the game. I know. And um, since then... I have, as, you know, as well as doing all my reading, I've also been playing a hell of a lot of Candy Crush. So I've become obsessed with crushing tiny different sweet shapes on my oh, phone and it's taking up. So 90 minutes reading, <laughs> yeah. five hours Candy yeah, Crush. Exactly. All about balance. <laughs> but I think also what I've realised is starting to trouble me is, as you know, Jez, I'm a highly competitive person. Yes. Um, and so every time I don't complete a level, it's bothering me way more than it should so I've I've sort of started having to have some conversations with myself of calm down well look put your phone away uh, for the next (laughs) hour or two we can't have you playing it during (laughs) our conversation I now have the absolute honour of introducing today's guest, a force to be reckoned with on the rugby field, but also a powerful advocate for women and girls in all sports. We are delighted to have the one and only Rachel Burford on the podcast. A multiple Six Nations winner, Rachel has represented her country in four Rugby World Cups, winning in 2014, and two Sevens World Cups. Rachel was awarded the Rugby Players Association England Women's Player of the Year Award in 2014 before becoming the first professional woman to be elected to the RPA's board in 2016. In 2017, Rachel won the coveted International RPA Award and in May 2021, Rachel captained Harlequins to the Alliance Premier 15's glory, beating Saracens. Rachel founded Girls Rugby Club and is head of women's rugby at International Rugby Players, the global representative body on issues of importance to all professional rugby players. Rachel, we are delighted to have you on. Welcome to the Being Humour podcast. Hi, thanks for that lovely introduction. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? All players, associations (laughs) and all of that. Um, No, I'm delighted to be here and thanks for having me on. Thank you for joining us. Before we dive into your fabulous uh, career, we wanted to ask you a few questions just to get to know you a bit better. Yeah. So first one, if you could be someone else for the day, who would it be and why? Um, Well, I thought about this question and I wondered if I could actually be an animal. Yes, Um, I think so. Definitely. (laughs) Because I literally look at my two dogs every day and I just think they have zero care in the world about anything other than when their next treat is. I mean, (laughs) they literally go out, they explore, they exercise, they eat. They're allowed on the sofa, they snooze all day. And I just thought that could be quite a nice life to live. What a fabulous existence. That does sound a dreamy life to be living. What's um, a song, Rachel, that would immediately get you onto the dance floor? 
I don't know who the, I'm so bad with names, that's probably not very helpful, um, or artist, but I want to dance with somebody. I think that's, is that Whitney? Whitney. Yeah, it's Whitney Houston. Is it? Oh, there we go. I probably did know that, I just forgot. It's a good sing-along and a bit of a belter on the dance floor as well. Love yeah. that. What's a household chore you hate doing and why? Um, I don't necessarily have one. I have a few. <laughs> okay. uh, <laughs> and the thing is, my partner, Mike, he coaches the USA 7s men's team. So he tours a lot and he's not here a lot. So when he comes home, he literally does these jobs because I absolutely hate them. One of them is taking all the bins out. I hate that job. Um, there's always just a huge pile of recycling on the site because I just put it off. Emptying the dishwasher. I don't mind loading it, but emptying it, I can't stand it. And hanging up washing. The three things that, like, I absolutely hate. That's a, a solid list of three quite core household <laughs> yeah. chores. I'm glad you mentioned the bins. It's, you I'm... should have seen Jez's face light up when you mentioned bins. He gets very excited. <laughs> we live on a cul-de-sac, Rachel, and, I, and in my road I'm known as the binfluencer. I am... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I love making sure that the bins are out on the right day. Um, shall I stop now? This I is, think I'm, so, yeah. I'm not, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, <laughs> okay. Ask another question, yeah. maybe, quickly. <laughs> I'll jump in. Um, Rachel, what's your go-to podcast to listen to, um, of course, other than this one? <laughs> of course. Um, I quite like kind of like self-growth or like just learning kind of podcasts. Mm. I, lo- I really like Diary's CEO because though he always has so many different people on there from different walks of life, and it's always really kind of interesting. And then kind of sporting ones, the high performance podcast as well, mm. kind of getting into the minds of of people who are in the sporting sector, have maybe achieved everything or, or failed in a lot of cases as well. So I quite like exploring and finding out new things and, and they're probably my two biggest go-tos. Okay, last one of these questions, Rachel. If you could have dinner with three other people, who would you invite around the dinner table? Um, who would I have? I would probably want some entertainment and I watched Michael McIntyre's show the other night and he's just so funny. So I think he would be a great crack to have <laughs> around the table. I would love to like get into the, like the mind of like Michael Jordan and just mm. yeah, pick his brains. And then finally, maybe somebody like Pink or Adele because I reckon give them a couple of glasses of wine and they'll probably <laughs> sing for us. So, And they're, talk- they're both really cool people. So they would probably be my three. I think it sounds like you'd have a lot of fun at that dinner party. If we start at the beginning, can you tell us a bit about your background and where you're from? Yep, so I grew up in Lordswood, which was just outside of the Medway Towns in Kent. Spent most of my childhood growing up in Lordswood and then we moved over to Rochester, which was literally walking distance of the rugby club which was basically our second home growing mm. up and that's where I kind of went to secondary school around that area in terms of rugby I picked up a rugby ball within a team um, at the age of six years old but I was always kind of running around at a younger age with a rugby ball in my hand because my sister played so I was always down there on the weekends when she was training so um, and that was kind of where I guess my rugby journey really began. And I played in that boys team up until the age of 11 slash 12, like as you're going mm. into the girls section. And then from the age of 13 is where you kind of start going into a county level and a regional level. And then that's when kind of England opportunities also started to turn up. And without realizing, like I actually, my all my focus really went into my rugby because mm-hmm. it was something that I felt confident in and 
that I felt good at. So I kind of channeled a lot of my focus there and my care and, you know, my dreams are all around that kind of stuff. Um, mm. Yeah, like my family, they all played rugby. So my dad played. He was the one who introduced us all to the game. My mum picked up the rugby ball and started playing in, in her later years. And my sister played. So it was a real family affair piece. And like I said, the rugby club was literally our second home because my dad was like the treasurer, the secretary, the barman. And my mum was the barwoman. Like, so we just were, wow. we were there kind of every day, whether we're restocking, whether we're serving, whether we're there for training, watching games or playing and training ourselves. It was definitely something that was like a solid part of our life growing up. In your family DNA. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Rachel, what was life like for you as, as a young person? I think like when I reflect on growing up like my dad used to play as I mentioned mm. but he actually shattered three vertebrae in his neck and he was no longer allowed to play any sport um, and also mm. had to retire from or go off sick from work because he couldn't work and my mum she's Polish and she came over from Poland and then suddenly she had to go out to work so it wasn't that we struggled growing up like we we always had food and clothes and you know warmth and all of that side of stuff mm. um, but we wasn't a well-off family it wasn't you know we used to drive to Poland every year for our family holidays but I had such a really happy childhood like I always remember you know having a lot of friends and I massively that's due to the connection at rugby club like my my parents had lots of friends they'd always socialize and so like it was a really kind of happy childhood and I think because of rugby I was so fortunate that I had that because during school like I really struggled academically mm. um I almost got to a point of like, I just didn't mm. want to be there. And it was just because I, I didn't learn in the same way. Or And this is a long time ago where methods of learning have very much changed nowadays. Mm. And like, you know, at the age of 15, I, I was told I had the region age of a 10-year-old. So then I was like put into like a separate class, which literally felt like I was a little bit like back in primary school. We had like workbooks mm. and it was like so, so basic. Mm. But so I just really struggled and I didn't get a lot out of my education. It almost felt like working against me, apart from a couple of the PE staff that really kind of looked after me. And I guess they knew and they know what the power of sport can do for individuals. Yeah. And because I, I'm quite a strong-willed, stubborn for sure, uh, which I think comes from from playing with the boys, they would ask me to read out loud in class and knowing that, and me knowing as well, that reading out loud is not a strength of mine and mm. I didn't want to do that it would have been embarrassing and and so I refused to um I wasn't going to be forced to do something that I felt really uncomfortable doing so I had a lot of fallouts with a lot of teachers and a lot of that school time really shaped my thinking about myself you know I just felt and thought that I was stupid and I had no idea what path I would take or where I'd go and always I used to kind of put myself in like just practical pockets of like oh maybe I'll join the army or I'll try and be you know a personal trainer because I don't think that I at the time I didn't think you know those things needed straight A's and people that could read really well and yeah. it really kind of shaped my thought process about myself for such a long time until I started to see actually what rugby has given me and how I can apply that kind of off the pitch. You've obviously mentioned your parents and their involvement in the club kind of being an early influence on you. And you mentioned a couple of sports coaches at school. Who were the important people in your life and how did they help and guide you? Yeah, I, I mean, as you go through like your life and, and journeys, like there's different pivotal people at every moment, certainly growing up and, and into later life. Like my mum and dad 
have done everything that they could to get me into the position that I was in. And, you know, I'm so grateful for them because without their commitment, you know, everybody talks about the athlete and what they've done, but without my mom and dad sacrificing their time, traveling, money to get me to places, to buy me equipment, you know, I, I left home when I was 16 to go to a rugby academy in Bath, which was like three hours on a train. And I was playing at Medway because it was the year that I was old enough to play alongside my mum and sister in the same team. And I re- I didn't want to give that up. Mm. So my mum, she would clean the rugby club Monday and Friday. And then she would give me that money to then get a train back, to then have a bit of spending money. At the week. And it was just, she would just do that every single week. No questions asked, you know. And if it wasn't for all of those things that your parents do, they don't kind of get you on that path and things don't ever amount to anything. So they've been massively important in my career and, Mm. you know, I owe so much to both of them. Mm. I think during school time there was um, two PE teachers, Mr. Cleves and Miss Wellman, who, again, just kind of understood and, and probably saw parts of themselves in me from a young age and just really, really looked after me. You know, my head of year just had it in for me, like just... You know, he used to often say to me, you know, rugby's never going to take you anywhere. You need to start your sorting your studies out. Mm. Um, and just one of those. And, you know, I was the highest achieving student in sport, but never really got recognized at school. Mm. And PE, I opted for that for my GCSEs and they didn't give it to me, you know, on like options day, like career explore days. And one of them was like an army camp and a sport camp. And then you had to put like four options down. And I think I put my like last option being like a makeup class and they gave me that as like the first one. So it just felt like there was a bit of an agenda. But Mr. Cleves, he said, I'll have her in my class, she'll be in my form and I'll look after her. And so just like, again, a different kind of moment and time in my life. But if it wasn't for those PE teachers that saw something in me and looked outside of just kind of what she does in English and maths. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, the way that I was feeling would have probably spiraled out of even more uh, in, in terms of like in a real negative way. So I was kind of really, really grateful to those. Rugby journey wise, like Gary Street, he was kind of my first real, I guess, senior coach in kind of the England setup. I, I was at the academy with him. I, he was the coach when we were at the Bath um, Rugby Academy. And then my England coach, we won the World Cup together. And then again at Harlequins, and he's always been there at really important points in my life. And mm. uh, again, just somebody who's kind of always supported me, given me the belief of what I can do. Uh, and sometimes that's all you need is just one person to believe in you, to make you believe in yourself. And he definitely did that multiple times mm. in my career. And I could genuinely, I could list so many more people, <laughs> but this is only an hour podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rachel, talk us through what a normal week is like for you as a professional rugby player. You know, how do you prepare for games, training, all of it? So for the PWR, our premiership, a lot of players still have full-time jobs or students. You know, there's a handful of kind of internationals who are full-time and they're really full-on weeks. And so if you take that into consideration, you know, people who are still working and studying and transitioning and all those kind of things, we train as a team three times a, a week. So on a Monday, they the program kind of starts around 2.30 p.m. And then throughout the rest of the week, we have daytime sessions and evening sessions. 
if I give you kind of a, a typical Tuesday, which is very similar on a Thursday as well. So we'll mm. come in and we'll have a speed session on field. Then we'll have a skill session on field. Then we'll be in the gym and we'll have weights to do. And then we'll have a unit session, which is kind of forwards and back. So we'll work on our plays or we'll do some video analysis. Then we'll have um, a team meeting and then we'll go out and we'll train in the evening from kind of half seven till nine o'clock. That's very similar on a Thursday. The speed and skills is slightly different. We have like a contact conditioning club. So where we go to a gymnastics factory, so it's nice and soft. Mm. Um, and we get a big kind of technical session in around our tackle technique. And then again, the rest of it repeats. And Mondays are a little bit kind of, because obviously you've just played on Saturday. So for example, like a today's will be same sort of setup. We'll have skills in the afternoon. We'll have weights that we've got to do. We might have an off feet bike session to do as well, just to kind of flush the legs. And then the team session is you can't go too high intensity but we're still out there. And what we do at our club is, because we're quite disjointed in terms of like where we all come from. It's, mm-hmm. We're not all homegrown around Surrey and Guildford. We're kind of scattered all over the place. So we've got to try and make strong connections with each other. So we have like, a, we have dinner club on a Monday. So we'll go out, we'll have our session and then we'll come in a little bit earlier than normal and we'll have dinner together and just like be present and with each other, trying to build those connections mm-hmm. off the pitch because it's just as important. You know, the more that we can be connected off the field will naturally, you know, it, it will make you care about an individual more for, first and foremost. And and then when you're on a pitch and you're in a dark place or you've got to work a bit harder to support that person, that's naturally going to happen. Whereas if it's kind of just, you know, turn up, do a job, go home, there's no real deeper meaning connection there. Mm. And if you can create those bonds and like all teams, there are some players that don't get on with each other and there are some players who are really, really close. And I think if you acknowledge that and that's absolutely fine, but the majority of you are in a position where actually this is a really tight connection and when we come onto the field, you know, it's not about who's best friends with who, it's actually just about collectively how we work together. Mm. And I've seen that work in teams and I've seen it where, you know, a team has not been connected. And throwback to 2014 when we won the World Cup, our off-pitch connection was unbelievable Mm. and we worked really really hard at it making sure that the team was in a really good place individuals were in a really good place and that we actually talk about individual whys like why do you do what you do why do you you know for some of our full-time workers why do you get up at the crack of dawn to do a session to then go to work all day Mm. to then turn up literally chuck your boots on get in the gym do your units and you're looking at a 16 17 hour day like why do you do that Mm. And so like to understand players and individuals and knowing what their drive is. And we did that in 2014 where, and we all sat in a room and we shared it with each other and it just brought us all so much closer. You know, there was like tears in some, it was laughter in the other. It's not something that you can kind of write down and say, this is what it looks like. It's all about a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. As a captain, Rachel, what motivates you, you know, to lead both on and off the field and who has inspired you through their leadership? Um, I, th- I think my leadership has probably changed over time. When I was younger, it's probably more about just wanting to win and, and be the best. And don't get me wrong, that's definitely <laughs> what I still want. But I think <laughs> that's for sure. But I think for what's for me really important now as a, as a leader is actually making sure that the team are in a really good place, that individuals are in a good place, 
that actually I want to see everybody thrive and be the best version of themselves. Mm. And if that results in a win, great. But if it doesn't, the team collectively and individuals collectively are in a really good place and they're, they're working towards their best version. Like, I think that's where my leadership has kind of changed over the years for certain is wanting to see others really thrive as opposed to it just being about the outcome of, of a win or a lose. That's interesting, isn't it? If you lead in the way that you're describing that, the results over time will kind of look after themselves almost, won't they? Yeah, I'm a big believer in if you're in a good space, then the best does come out of you. Mm. And so as a leader, you can't just worry about the game on the Saturday. You've got to worry about, you know, the environment, how a message is delivered, um, how's a player feeling after getting a bit of bad news, what, how are they thinking and feeling, what can I do to help or... Or, you know, those kind of like small things, but really do have an impact generally. What lessons can anyone learn from from taking part in sport at whatever level, I, I guess, that perhaps apply to life a bit more generally? Oh, honestly, there's so many different things. The ability to work with people mm. is so, so critical and it's so overlooked. Like it, you know, people just are expected to be put into a team and, and right, okay, now you're going to function and you're going to, I don't know, get me X amount of sales. And in everyday life is being able to mix with different people, mm. different cultures, different backgrounds, find strengths and weaknesses and be able to collectively work better and, and use each other's strengths and weaknesses to, to your advantage um, I think kind of the discipline element, you know, turning up, getting a job done, when things aren't going right, still doing the job, discipline is just massive. Like if you don't have that, you you probably won't get far in sport. Mm. And that relates into anything off the pitch, yeah. you know, whether that's in your lifestyle, your health, in your relationships, you know, all those kind of things, it plays a massive part. I used the confidence that I have from sport where – you know, I'm a decision maker, I'm a leader, I've got strong communication skills, like how can I build this into something else and actually looking at the ways that I can use all that experience and then put it into something else. And I know we might talk about it in a bit, like the girls rugby club, like setting up my own business, running the accounts, you know, where I didn't get GCSE in maths and, you know, so, but it's from the confidence and all the things on the pitch that then allow me to, to actually drive and try stuff and be brave because when you're on a rugby pitch, you've got to be brave. You've got to be courageous. Mm. You've got to make tough decisions. You've got to try things. You're going to fail mm-hmm. a hell of a lot. But sport has always taught me to keep going. Mm. There is literally so many parallels that you could draw from sport into life and into business. But it took me a long time to like recognize it or even see that being a leader or a captain in a team mm. – like how much of that I could take away from it doesn't just have to stay in rugby. I can do that elsewhere. Rachel, how have you seen women's rugby evolve since you started playing? Oh, <laughs> dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I was to like rewind to my first cat in 2006, it was in Canada. And we honestly had about, I reckon, maybe 50 people watching it was streamed, but it was incredibly like grainy. Mm. And then I fast forward to 2021 World Cup being played in 22 due to COVID, mm-hmm. where I was commentating on the World Cup final at a sold out Eden Park. Like it's just worlds apart, yes. like worlds apart, not just from a fan perspective, but like just every aspect of it 
it's amazing to see. Like we was only joking the other day that in 2009 for the Sevens World Cup, we had to stitch on our own badges. It's just like so many things like that. And this year, Harlequins, we've got our names on the back. We've got female fitted shirts. Yeah. When I started playing, we were wearing like the men's third teams baggage leftover shirts that didn't fit anybody. We were on like the back pitches. We didn't have changing rooms. Like we didn't have floodlights. We had to fight for like a crappy piece of pitch somewhere around the back. Whereas now it's just, it's completely different. Yeah. Um, not just right at the top end, but in the community clubs as well, like women's rugby, girls' rugby is really, really valued. Mm. Um, there's still a long way to go and there's still plenty of work and I'm sure there's a lot of bad stories still around, but it is night and day from when I started to where it is now. Rachel, what are some of the challenges that you've faced as a female athlete in the rugby world and how have you overcome those? I guess, like, I find, I do find this question quite challenging um, when I am asked about it because I think when you're in it and what you don't know you don't know Mm. you're not really recognizing challenges and and it's wrong because it's almost like this is normal for us so yeah after a long long time there wasn't any questioning around women's support um, you know contracts facilities it's only probably been in the last five six years that people really talking out Ben like hang on a minute this isn't right I'd probably say the main challenge was obviously we were amateur for so long. Yeah. um, And that was hugely challenging to hold down a full-time job. And particularly for players who, well, certainly like myself, you know, I didn't have a a career path that I was set going down. I was kind of always doing jobs that just kind of allowed me to take time off when I needed it to go and play rugby. Yeah. That was all really challenging, trying to balance all of that um, aspect and, you're not thriving in terms of what you're earning to live off and you're kind of just surviving, getting through to try and live the dream that you you want to live. Um, so I'd say that's a big a big area. Mm. Um, and then the, the only other one for, that I kind of still, for me, is just that comparison that we always have is mm-hmm. against the men. And yeah. it's, it's just, it's two completely different, you know, you can't compare them and it's almost... I just want people to see the game for women's rugby for what it is and the men's game for what it is. Yeah. And then the last one would be, which has really come to light, is just the lack of female-specific research Mm. in women's sport is just so poor. Like, everything that we have done is all based on men's data. Yeah. Uh, Whether that's nutrition, sports psych, training, like, so your types of conditioning, your, your gym programs so much is so focused around men and there's been hardly anything concrete around women's health, you know, in terms of menstrual cycles, uh, reds, which a lot of women really, really suffer, especially athletes. It's just like all of those areas and women who have children then come back from it. it, it, It's so rare that like those challenges are are there and real that because Mm. they've never been spoken about and never research properly we've never been able to actually overcome some of those challenges that people just go through and and it's a bit like my first comment around you just kind of get on with it and this is what it is and I think because so much is not done in the women's space that we just find ourselves not even recognizing that there are challenges we're just kind of moving through the motions so I think they're that some of the key areas for me.
also you've also founded Girls Rugby Club. Tell us what that is and why you're doing it. Yeah, so the Girls Rugby Club it originated back in 2016, and it was called the Burford Academy. And basically, it all stemmed from I used to work for England Rugby as a community rugby coach, and my role was head of girls rugby, women and girls rugby in Kent. And I started seeing so many girls kind of dropping out of playing when they get to the age of kind of 10, 11, 12, because that's the time where you've got to move from playing with the boys into a girls team only. And so many clubs weren't in the position to offer girls because it's, it's similar to my upbringing. I was one of the only girls who was in the team. So if you've only got four or five girls across your whole mini section, it's going to take four or five years to get all of those girls in one team together. Mm, yeah. Um, so you'd see just a lot of dropout. So I decided to like host a day where it was like, if you're a girl and you play rugby in the county, you are welcome to come along today. And we had so many girls turn out. And what it what that did was just kind of, A, give them an opportunity to be in an all-girls environment, to meet new people. And now maybe my club, Medway, has got six or seven girls and the club down the road has got three. And now we've made friends. There's like that kind of familiarity. There's that connection. It's like, oh, actually, it's not going to be so bad moving to that club and joining that team because I know some of them. Mm. So it's trying to help kind of bridge those gaps. Um and it was unbelievable the amount of girls that we got turning up and, and it was from all ages. And then kind of swing forward, I, I came professional in 2013, 14, sorry. Um, and I was working on something to do alongside playing and our contracts were up for negotiation. And my coach was like, look, we're not sure what we're going to do with your contracts. And it kind of made me go, well, I really need to get, you know, something off pitch that I'm really passionate about, that I care about. And it's all about three things creating more opportunities for girls, making sure that there's an environment where girls can thrive in. And when I say that, I mean being an all-girls environment because for a lot of girls, they don't experience that until they get to 13. And actually, it's quite daunting. Mm. And a lot of players enjoy their time playing with the boys, but they've never experienced anything else. And that's so some of them do drop out just for that reason. Mm. Um, and it's to create lasting memories. So having a really good time and being able to take those kind of lessons and that enjoyment back to their own clubs and their own environments. So we had a group of girls coming for a camp and we just started talking about girls rugby in schools. And it broke my heart, the fact that when I was at school, there was no girls team. There was a boys team that I wasn't allowed to take part of. And then I'm sitting in a room, you know, 25 years later and the same situation is happening. Yeah. One girl was like, yeah, the school know I play rugby, but they never ask me um, the questions when they're like, if they say, oh, you know, who likes rugby? Who's got some questions they want to ask this person or whatever? They're like, they always ignore me. And it's just like, it's so sad. So like what we did, we set up a petition just to try and drive a narrative around actually schools should be where they offer rugby for boys. They should be offering it for girls as well. Mm. We're not saying every school's got to do it because it takes resource and time. Rachel, what would you um, say to, you know, young women, girls, mums and dads even who haven't thought about playing rugby before? I, I would just say, give it a try. Mm. It just gives you, you know, a sense and I know it sounds cliche, but rugby is such a family or orientated sport. Mm. And I often say this is if you feel like you don't fit in somewhere, you rugby is for you. Like if you think that you're not fast enough, quick enough, or, you know, you're too big, too small, like there is a place that that's a strength in mm. our team. 
And that's what I think makes rugby so unique is that we need so many different aspects. Like we can't have all skinny, skinny girls. We need some big, strong women and girls Mm. in our team. Like it just makes them kind of feel belonged and that they – you know, they have a sense of identity of who they are. They haven't got to be anybody else because actually what you bring is what we need. And I think that can be so powerful, especially in young people, especially with, you know, body image and yeah. all of that. Oh, it's just such a empowering environment. If you don't mind, like I quickly share a story about rugby and it came from, I was doing some coaching in a school and and we kind of like built it. We did a few sessions in the school. Then I took them to the rugby club, did some sessions at the rugby club, integrated them with um, some of the club players. And then it was like that kind of coaching chapter or phase mm. came to an end. And it was kind of like, okay, if you want to stay playing at the rugby club, you can do. There's no pressure to. And there was this one girl who did join the rugby club. And it was about maybe six or seven months later, we was at a fundraising event. And the parent came up to me and she said, I need to thank you. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I can't tell you what what this sport has done for our life. And I was like, okay. And I knew, obviously, then we talked about who her daughter was. Mm. And she went on to explain. She said, I was in a really, really bad situation in terms of domestic violence. And she said, but what joining this rugby club did, it gave me a group of people, a community that I could support and rely on that allowed me the strength and the confidence to get myself out of that situation. And now I have people there. So like just the power wow. that sport has, not just on its face value of, you know, the health and the well-being, but the a wider side to it of somebody feeling completely isolated joining a sport that then opened up so many other opportunities for her like it's just remarkable what Mm. being part of a sport can do that's heartwarming isn't it yeah Yeah. when I heard you say you know there's a place for you what a brilliant thing Mm. fabulous Rachel looking ahead we know this is um your last season for Harlequins that's right what's going to be next for you I, I don't exactly know I'd like to take just a little bit of time out and just rest. <laughs> All I know is like I'm really passionate about continuing to try and make a difference in our game. Yeah. And whether I find myself in coaching or whether it's more in the administration side, which I do with international rugby players, I'm just kind of not sure where my full attention is going to go to. Mm. Um, I quite like the fact that, you know, I do a bit of coaching, some media and the administration side. So I'm kind of like in three parts of it. And I know that I'm going to maybe have to dive into one area. But I'm just kind of looking forward to having some time and spending time with my family some more, yeah. being at home some more. Um, and everyone always talks about when you're in the rugby bubble, you don't really see anything other than <laughs> that. So I guess it's kind of just taking a bit of time out, assessing my situation, what I want to do but in no rush, really, to make any final decision straight away. I'm sure the next chapter, as it unfolds, will be amazing. I hope so. <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much for taking time out of your, what we now know is a very, very yeah, hectic, hectic week. <laughs> hectic week. It's been fascinating talking to you. So many things that we've that I've learned. Anyway, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for having me on. 
Well, that was an absolutely brilliant conversation. It completely flew by. I think Rachel's a very inspiring, determined and resilient woman. You know, women's sport really does have the power to change people's lives. And, you know, as somebody who's played sports since I was young, I've, I've seen it myself and also do feel really empowered and strong whilst playing sports. So it's really, I think, really brilliant what Rachel is trying to do to pave the way for so many more girls and women to have access to, you know, rugby as an avenue to do that. And I think it was such a good conversation. What was your biggest reflection having listened to Rachel's story? I think the way that she referenced the challenges that female athletes face, sometimes difficult to talk to because she described it as it just is the way it is and therefore you just have to get on with it, I think was particularly interesting for me that I think there will be a lot of people that probably don't realise that most women playing for their country also have full-time jobs to make sure that they can afford to do and live and be the way they want to be. Um, Yeah, I thought it was just an extremely thought-provoking conversation with her. Um, What about you, Jez? Well, um, linked very closely to our work uh, as Just Add Water with our clients, I was struck by the importance Rachel places on taking time out of the work, you know, playing Mm. the game, to really get to know, understand, empathise even with her colleagues and what I quite liked there was she was talking about, you know, you don't actually have to be best friends with everyone, but you do need to understand them and how critical that is to the team's performance back on the pitch. The other thing that struck me was the role teachers, coaches, parents, and any adults, I suppose, can play in helping kids work out who they are, what they're capable of, and why they're here. Yeah, absolutely. That is it for our first episode back of season two of the Being Human podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, please do hit the follow button and leave us a review on whatever platform you use. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any suggestions on topics you'd like us to explore, or if you'd like to be a guest, or if you want to talk to us about the work we do with Just Add Water, please do get in touch. You've been listening to the Being Human podcast. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Nurturing individual brilliance, forging collective strength. All that tapping around on there, was that you doing work or were you playing Candy Crush? (laughs) I wish I was playing Candy Crush. I need to get past level 125. You've got a more fancy um, gob anti-popping device. Maybe they feel that you're more salivary than I am. (laughs) Or... That goes Amelia Vegting. A salivary lady. Hi, I'm Amelia Vegting. I'm Jez Francis. Sorry. Sorry. I forgot the and. I mean, some people say it's not necessary. (laughs) But I'm a stickler for an and. (laughs) God. I think you have been listening to that. Too much. Too much, yeah. That wasn't recorded, was it? Oh, shit.